Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today's story uh, presents a challenge to the preacher, first and foremost, uh, because on the one hand, it is a very familiar story. How many of you have heard this story before? Very good. Uh, And it's not only familiar, I think, in church circles, but even in our society that we are told is increasingly post-Christian in many ways. If you were to do a uh, Jay Leno man on the street interview, you might actually still find uh, a lot of people not necessarily connected in the church still being somewhat familiar with this story. They may not know all of the details or the cultural attachments uh, to first century storytelling that Jesus does, but they know the gist about the sons, the younger son, the older son, and the father who welcomes them back. And so first challenge in sharing this with you is how do we not just have our eyes glaze over from familiarity and actually let it engage our minds and our hearts today. So on one hand, it's a little too familiar. That's a challenge for us. On the other hand, it's completely foreign to most of our experiences in life. So even though the story is familiar in the telling, it's very unfamiliar in terms of our everyday experience. We probably, thankfully by the Spirit's leading, get some glimpses of grace in our lives, whether we're showing it to others or receiving it from them, but it's not the dominant story that often gets told in our lives. And so uh, it can be unfamiliar to us at the same time. I want to retell it a little bit for you with some modern spin, see if that um, allows us to connect with it uh, a little. I'm taking some liberty with this, but just bear with me on it. So there's a younger uh, kid who resents his parents Because, well, they always treated the older brother better. The older brother got to do more things and try more stuff and had more responsibility. And the younger, uh, he feels like he was just sheltered all the time. You know, they sent him to the best prep schools, which you'd think he'd be thankful for. But he thought, you know, you didn't prepare me for the world at all. You've just hidden me away from all of the hardships that exist around us. You didn't prepare me for anything. You just kind of hid me away, and now uh, nothing makes sense to me. And the older brother got to do all kinds of stuff that I never got to do. And in fact, mom and dad, your ways of doing things are just so antiquated. You just don't get it. You don't understand what the world is like today. I see some kids turning to their parents and echoing this statement right now. You don't understand you don't, you don't get what life is like for us. You obviously were never a kid yourself because you're totally far removed from what I'm experiencing. I've had it with you. You don't get it. I don't want to be a part of your world, right? Part of your world. Sorry, I brought in the Little Mermaid again. I don't want to be part of this. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm done with you. I want to go live my life the way I want to live my life. Now, the older sibling also resents his parents. Uh, we could make this a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter, right? But it's, uh, 
I, I, he's resenting the upbringing that he had. You know, he was the guinea pig. It's as if his parents didn't have a clue what they were doing when they were raising him. He always had to have more responsibility than his younger sibling. Um, they were always trying things on him. He was like the third parent in the family. And meanwhile, this guy just got away with murder, the younger one. They just let him do whatever he wanted. And it's totally been unfair. Uh, and again, you guys don't understand what life is about. You don't get it. Parents just don't understand, as Will Smith says, right? You just don't understand, and I'm done with you. Now, you know what's different about the younger son and the older is the, the younger has this kind of abrupt, I'm out. I don't want to be part of this anymore. But the older, he doesn't have any kind of shocking thing. It's more like in his heart, he's been harboring more and more resentment as the years go by until kind of one day he just real, wakes up and realizes, I don't like my parents, right? I'm done with them. And so he draws a line in the sand, doesn't want to be part of this anymore. What do the parents do? They have many late night conversations around the dinner table. What are we supposed to do with this? How do we handle this? How do we make this right? I can't figure this out. And in the course of those conversations, they also start to recount all of the sacrifices that they have made for their kids over the years and how unappreciated all of those sacrifices have gone. And they say, you know what? Well, we've had it. They talk about them having it. We've had it. We're drawing a line in the sand. And if that's the way they're going to be, then take your stuff and go, both of you. Now, is this Jesus' parable anymore? No. Does it sound more familiar? Maybe in a lot of ways. I don't think it's any mystery to any of us, this type of experience within families or relationships Maybe it's very close to home for you, the descriptions I'm giving, and you're filling in all kinds of blanks on your own. Maybe it's only one, you know, person removed, you know, just a part of extended family or a relationship that you've seen with close friends or something like this. We all have as a dominant experience in our lives this drawing the line in the sand, and then once that's crossed, it's done. We're done. And the fight could be about anything. You, could, you guys could probably give me the illustrations for the rest of the sermon on this. I don't even have to come up with them, but I know a couple. I know uh, uh, some grown siblings, five of them, who when the final uh, parent, so this was the patriarch, the grandpa had lived the longest, uh, when he died, they inherited the property and they immediately got along wonderfully with it and sorted everything out and have been singing Kumbaya ever since. No. What did they do? Started to fight. They started drawing lines in the sand about this decision made over this place and who gets to make that decision and what's the right thing to do. And then they started to create uh, their little sides. Usually it was two against three. You always got to find a, at least a buddy to help you out with this. And so they squabbled and then they kind of, everything blew up. Didn't want to deal with each other anymore. I met a guy years ago who was about in his mid-30s at the time, and he had not spoken to his younger brother for 13 years. And I don't just mean like they didn't go out for coffee 
and maybe they talked at Christmas or a birthday. Like they didn't exchange a single word with each other for 13 years. Somebody had done the other person wrong. I don't even remember what the detail was. That could make me belittle it, but it meant a lot to him. He had really been harmed. And so he drew a line in the sand and said, you know, until you do X, Y, or Z, we're not talking to each other again. It doesn't just happen in our family situations, but that's where it's the most poignant for us. This is, the, this is the places where it hurts the most. It can happen in other places too. Think about, you know, our, those of us that are in school still, some, some friend backstabs you or doesn't come through for you in some way and it's like time for the silent treatment with them or a coworker undermines what you're trying to accomplish. And so, okay, I don't trust that person anymore. I'm not, I'm not working with them again on this because I'm only going to get the same thing again and again from them. Are we immune from drawing lines in the church? Not really. Sometimes they are very trivial things, a lot of times. Sometimes they're very substantive. It's not to dismiss the severity of the problem, but we can do that too. We do it often. How many denominations are there? Quite a few. The church has a history of doing this with each other, and then we can do it with Uh, among ourselves as well. I mean, I have heard this said in many different places, many different settings within the church. Hey, I'm all for grace and everything, but think about that. I'm all for grace and everything, but there's always a big but that gets in the way of this. We know what it is to draw lines in the sand, and that's it. Now, the reason why this is important for us to dwell on a little bit this morning is not to beat ourselves up, but because the, when we have this as a dominant experiences in our lives and in our relationships, we make certain conclusions or assumptions about ourselves, about other people, and therefore also about God. We conclude things about what God is like whether we're being explicit, saying it out loud, or we just kind of start assuming it in the back of our minds, we assume things about what God is like based on what our experiences are. How many times have you heard people say they reject God because those Christians are this, that, or the other? And so we can do the same thing even within God's house. We can do the same thing based on the experiences that we have had in our families and in relationships with others. We can conclude that this is how I've experienced other people. God must also be like this. And Jesus comes to us today with this parable in Luke's gospel to actually answer that question that maybe we didn't even realize we were asking. What is God really like Does he also draw lines with me? Does he put me on the outs when I've done him wrong? And we learn that God is actually completely different from us. This is what the prophet Isaiah had said long before. My ways are different than your ways, higher than your ways. My thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. He's so different from us. And so you see this parable again in light of this line drawing that happens. And you see that every character in the story except the father is drawing lines in the sand. The younger son very obviously draws a line in the sand because 
He tells his dad that he would like his share of the inheritance. When do you get an inheritance? When somebody dies. How many of you have either thought or said to your parents, drop dead? Well, this guy meant it in the story. Drop dead. Everything about you I don't want to be a part of. So if you could just die and give me what is owed to me, that would be great. So he draws this line in the sand. I mean, whatever, whatever the dad stands for, he wants to be as far from that as possible. And not only does he want him to drop dead and get his inheritance, but he also, as, Luke, as Jesus tells the story, it's like he couldn't get farther away. So he goes off into a distant country. And he has wild living. So he's not following the Ten Commandments. He's not living under the will of God. So he's, he's rejected that way of life. And if the point isn't clear enough, Jesus says that he becomes destitute and has to hire himself out to someone who raises pigs, which in Jesus' Jewish context is really a clear sign that you've gone completely to the other side of things. You've, you know, kind of demeaned yourself so much that this is what you would do. And he even longs, because he's starving, he longs to be fed with what the pigs are eating. So he's gone, he's drawn a pretty thick line in the sand, hasn't he? Then he comes to his senses, we're told. I don't know how much sense he still has, but he comes to his senses and he says, wait a second, even my, my dad's hired hands, like the lowest people on the totem pole, they have a better life than I do. So I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to say this. Have you ever rehearsed a speech? You're going to have a hard conversation with someone. You want to practice it. Believe it or not, Pat and I also rehearse our sermons, but it might not always seem that way to you. <laughs> but he rehearses a speech and he says, Father, he's telling himself this as he walks. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Has he actually come to his senses or is he still drawing a line in the sand? I think he's still drawing a line in the sand because he, he thinks he defines the relationship, right? I'm not worthy to be called your son. That's the line he's drawn. I can't get back in. There's no way for me to get back in. That's the line that's drawn. I'm just a servant if you'll allow me to do that. And then he gets back to his dad. Now, he doesn't get to his dad because, as we know in the story, the dad hikes up his robes and just beelines to him as fast as he can when he sees him approach him. And he falls all over him, and he's just the dad's crying and gushing and all of this. And the son starts his speech. And what I love about this, if I were doing like this as a play or in a movie or something like this, I'd have the son start making the, start saying the words. And then the dad goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the robe, kill the fatted calf, we're having a party. Because the son comes back on his own terms and he starts saying something. And the father hears him, but he's not going to listen to what he has to say because that's not what defines the relationship. I think this is true for us too. God always hears us, but sometimes what we're saying to him is wrong. And so he'll hear us. He loves us. He's listening. But then he says, now this is actually how it is. And so even though the son has this rehearsed speech, the father says, no, that's not how it's going to go. You've come back even with a line drawn in the sand, but I am going to draw near to you instead. Where the son draws a line, the father crosses it in grace. Now, the older son, we might, we often think about this. I've preached this way around this story before. 
that they're kind of different types of people. You've probably heard this, right? There's the, there's the troublemaker that's gone on and then there's the self-righteous person. But they're really two sides of the same coin because they've also drawn a line in the sand. Where's the older son? He's also out in a field, just like the other guy was in a far off distant country in a field. The older son is also out in a field working his butt off for dad. And so he sees himself kind of similarly as the younger son, meaning not as a son, but as a servant, as someone who's had to earn their place. And if you weren't clear about it before, uh, Jesus makes it explicit because when his dad comes out, he says to him, hey, I've slaved for you all these years. I've been working my butt off for you, dad. And you've never even given me a young goat. How many of you kids here have never gotten a young goat from your parents? Yeah, sad story. Truly sad, sad story. But that's what he gets at with his dad. He's saying that he sees himself also as having drawn a line. And he's been following that line all through his life. And his dad is not honoring it. And now this son of yours, see, he's got the line drawn against his brother as well. And what does the father do? He crosses that line. He draws near to the older son. He says, everything, you've always been with me, and I've always been with you, and everything that I have is yours. But this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. We've got to celebrate. Every time a line gets drawn, the father crosses it. And it's not just true in this parable, because the parable is the gospel within the gospel. It's not just true of this one story. It's actually true of God. This is what Jesus shows us, right? In former years, God spoke through his prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And you see it again and again and again with Jesus' life and ministry, where every time people are drawing lines, he draws near. He crosses that line with grace and forgiveness and draws people into God's kingdom. And you could, we could spend the rest of the morning just looking at these examples, but there's one that really stood out to me for our purposes today. It comes from John's gospel in chapter 8. And the reason why I thought of it is because it's an actual story where Jesus draws in the dirt, in the sand. You know what I'm talking about? So there's a person who's been caught in sin and, and the people are ready to give judgment to her. And so they're looking for Jesus, this rabbi. Hey, what are you gonna, what do you say about this? What are you gonna do with it? And Jesus does a very odd thing. He bends down into the sand or the dirt and he starts doodling, doodling in the dirt, right? He's doodling in the dirt. What is he drawing? I think it's tic-tac-toe. Or maybe it's a smiley face. Or maybe it's something that you'll see on the loved and sent panels out there that someone did a stick figure of. Or maybe it's a line. John doesn't tell us. It's very cryptic, isn't it? But he goes down there and he doodles in the dirt. And then he stands up and he says, whoever is without sin can give judgment. They can draw lines in the sand too, basically. Now, you... You have to kind of give some credit to the crowd in John 8 because I don't know, if you're like me, when I'm righteously angry, if Jesus says that to me, I'm like, I'm ready, let's go. But these guys have a little bit of reflection about themselves. Oh, wait, yeah, I guess I am not without sin. And so they start to tail off. Who's the person that can actually judge this individual? 
Jesus. Jesus is the one without sin. He would be just in his judgment. And instead, he crosses the line, if that's what he was drawing, I don't know. He crosses the line, he draws near to this person. And he says, your accusers are gone. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Live in the grace of God that I have brought to you. See, Jesus shows us what God is actually like for us. Every time there is a line drawn, God draws near. God crosses over to bring us into his kingdom of grace. So perhaps right now there are lines that you have drawn in your relationships or in one in particular. Maybe there is a person who has really harmed you. And I want you to hear me telling you, not minimizing the harm that has been done or may be done right now. But Jesus wants us to know that he has already stepped across that line toward that person in grace. That's what he's done. Undoubtedly right now, you probably also have lines that have been drawn against you. There's something that you've done wrong, probably more than a few. Jesus wants you to know that he will not stay on the other side of that line. He has drawn near to you. He has chased you down like the father in the parable and brought you in. He has made the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. And he wants you to know again today that all that he has is yours. All of it, the whole kingdom is yours because the one who was dead is alive again. Jesus is alive again and he has this power to tear down all of these barriers and all of this sin. And he is with you now and always. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.